0: Hey, I'm Justin Anderson, lead pastor at Icon Church. Thanks so much for joining us today, wherever you are, to listen to or watch this message. We are in the middle of a series called A Rule for Life, Finding Peace in an Anxious World. And as we are recording these sermons live, we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is creating a lot of anxiety for people, and we have never needed peace more. But... No matter where you are or when you are engaging this content, we are always in need of peace. And God has provided a path to peace for us through spiritual disciplines. And that's what we're exploring during this series. So I encourage you uh, to go to iconchurch.org slash ruleforlife for more resources, more content, and more information. All right, well we are here with Pastor Eugene Cho. Uh, Super thankful to have you here with us to talk about these practices of simplicity and generosity. Uh, Before we get into the scriptures or uh, the idea, I'd love to just hear something about yourself and your family and your journey with these practices. Yeah,
1: Pastor Justin, thank you again so much for having me. It's really uh, an honor for me to be a part of what God's doing in not just your church, but the Capital C Church, especially in this region that we love so much. Uh, You and I, were sharing about this briefly, but uh, my wife and I, we've been married now for 23 plus years. She's a marriage and family therapist, which means that she wins every argument in our home. Uh, Don't laugh because she'll get, uh, she'll be very upset. And uh, we have three kids. We have a 21 year old, a 19 year old, and a 16 year old, um, a junior in high school. And so these are certainly challenging times for everyone, but I also find it to be a great Uh, opportunity to reconnect with our aging kids. And uh, as you shared earlier, I've uh, pastored a church here in Seattle for many years. My wife and I planted a church called Quest Church, now in Ballard. Uh, We started this in the year 2000 and about 18 years into it, and just recently, about a year and a half ago, felt God calling us to the next chapter of our journey. And so we stepped down. Uh, But the whole concept of generosity and simplicity I mean, for us, it really begins as followers of Jesus. Uh, Our faith in Christ informs our thoughts and views about it. I know that Christians don't monopolize that conversation, but yet for us, our faith is really what shapes and forms the life of Jesus, how he chose to give up so much to be a part of God's calling here on this earth. Um, And, you know, we started this organization called One Day's Wages, and I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk more about this, but the reason why it was so revolutionary for me was for a long time, I just saw generosity as stuff that the big shots, the billionaires, the celebrities that they were called to do. And so something happened in us where we realized that we no longer wanted to abdicate that responsibility to others, that God has given us so much. And so we were called to steward that which God gave to us. And that started this thing called one day's wages. But that's in a nutshell, a little bit about our story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I, I actually engaged you uh, as a Bible teacher and a pastor before uh, the One Day's Wages stuff. And so I've always loved that you root your work with One Day's Wages and all of the other things you do. Uh, in the scriptures. And that's, that's kind of where it started, as far as I can tell, that that conviction you already spoke of uh, about following Jesus. So I'd love to hear just, you know, maybe a, a passage of scripture or a concept from scripture that really uh, motivated or catalyzed uh, that what was a really big decision that, that, move, that first move your family made towards simplicity and generosity.
1: Yeah, so I'll take a step back. And before I cite some of the scripture verses that have spoken to me, you know, we've received our share of criticism because when we started this organization called One Day's Wages, uh, we decided because we were convicted to give up a year's worth of our wages. And so full disclosure, $68,000 was my salary as a pastor back then. One salary family here in Seattle, three kids who at that time were eating about six, seven meals a day, and everyone knows living in seattle is not it's not easy I mean, you have to really be creative how to make ends work and so it took us 3 years to make that decision my wife maybe a little sooner than i did but for myself for whatever reason it took me 3 years to say yes to that conviction to give up a year's wages but there were a couple verses that i think really spoke to me during this time now, the initial intent wasn't to give up a year's wages. We wanted to do something, but as we were praying about it, that was what God was calling us to do. And so a couple things come to mind, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6-8, and it's a verse that some Christians are familiar with, and it basically says that uh, when we give, we should not give reluctantly or under compulsion. And the reason why that has always been very formative to me is that as it is with all things spiritual discipleship and formation we shouldn't use fear guilt or shame to compel ourselves or to compel others now if i'm honest there are times as a pastor i think indirectly or directly i've like resorted to like strong arming people and i think in the big picture of things this is the reason why god's greatest gift to us with us, alongside jesus is free will. God gives us the capacity to choose. And so I love that verse, that because God's grace has been shown and showered to us, we don't have to act out of fear or guilt or compulsion, but again, just out of joy. The other verse that speaks a lot to me is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. And it's the whole section about not storing our treasures uh, to ourselves, but to store it in all things, the kingdom of God. And for me, the topics of generosity is always about a kingdom imagination. Mm -hmm. We're trying to spur people, not to a cultural imagination, a worldly imagination, but what does it mean for us, including our stewardship and our generosity, to be aligned to the heartbeat, to the kingdom of God?
0: yeah it uh, that's that's really helpful and it, it always occurs to me in that Matthew six passage uh, that the pairing of simplicity and generosity really matches uh, the work of Jesus that he in the Incarnation uh, and clothed himself in simplicity, right? Like leaving the majesty of heaven and then gave himself so generously, not just on the cross, but in his years of ministry, um, that that is an, uh, really an animating story for our you know, kind of practice of simplicity and generosity. as sure. well.
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's a, an important point uh, to make because I'm not suggesting that everyone needs to adopt a life of poverty. That's not what I'm suggesting at all but I think if you were to summarize the incarnation, I call it downward mobility. Mm. Uh, Jesus descends and becomes one of us consumed by flesh and bone. And yet I think so much of our context and our culture, particularly in our Western culture, that's kind of dominated by capitalism. And again, I'm not trying to get into a philosophical debate with anyone that capitalism inherently is bad, but I think The main message of our Western world is upward mobility. How do we advance and get bigger, get faster, get whatever it might be? And there's something about the life of Jesus, certainly affirmed by the ministry of Jesus and his words, that really does exude generosity and simplicity and humility. And I think all of us, all of us could use more of that in our lives.
0: Yeah. Well, two, there's, uh, you know, in our culture, a movement even, even if it's a sub movement towards minimalism and, uh, you know, some of the kind of take the, take thing, take the things out of your life, right? Um, but when that's not animated by the life and ministry of Jesus, by the gospel story itself, uh, when it's kind of detached from that, it ultimately just is a, a, another attempt, kind of yet another attempt to consume maybe a, in a different way but consume for my my own peace, my own self, my own, you know, like uh, it it has as its end myself still, which is anti-Jesus, right? Like Jesus's simplicity and generosity was an inherently others-oriented movement. And Mm -hmm. and I think that's such a powerful kind of catalytic uh, event in our own lives to be able to identify God's generosity towards us.
1: Yes, yeah, so I think this is what makes and what defines us as followers of Jesus. There are good things that we can practice from our larger cultural practice. An, an example might be Ash Wednesday or the Lenten season. In recent years, it's become somewhat trendy, even within churches and younger churches made up of younger believers to adopt some of the Lenten practices of giving up certain things. Now, I'm all for giving up certain things but if we're giving up certain things for the sake of giving up certain things, then indirectly it actually becomes just about us. And we're basically forming a theology, in this case of generosity, really about us. And so this is the reason why your question about where does scripture fit in? How does it shape us, not as a form of legalism, but how does it shape us, inform us? Because ultimately we want the person of Jesus to animate, to shape, to inform, to transform everything that we do. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of generosity. I've had opportunities to speak about that in corporate settings and what have you. But as followers of Jesus, the part that I love sharing with people, both that are Christian and non-Christian, is just to be honest in sharing my story, the reason why I do what I do isn't just altruism it isn't just generosity those are good things yeah. they're not the enemies of the gospel but for us as followers of Jesus when we say and sing it's all about Jesus that's what it means that it shapes the into the, the, the crux of who we are
0: yeah absolutely I mean especially in this day and age of social media and Instagram these movements can be performative you know ultimately uh and and ways in which we draw attention to ourselves which which completely undoes some of the power of uh, a Christ-centered or or gospel-animated simplicity and generosity. So um, one of the things that I wanna talk about too is this series is more broadly about how we find peace in an anxious world. And mm-hmm. and my kind of core argument throughout this series has been that, uh, in, in part, the scriptures give us and Christian tradition has given us these spiritual disciplines, which when we pursue them with continuity and and our, our series title is a rule for life, kind of a, a play on a, the monastic rule of life idea, mm-hmm. um, that when we can build ourselves this this rule of life that is formative, um, that we can actually find peace uh, and 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 I would say. That is a really countercultural message, especially when it comes to simplicity and generosity, right? And you mentioned it before, but a lot of the, the messaging behind our consumption is, yeah, consume this product in order to obtain the peace that you've been you know, desiring, that, that need mm. for peace that we all have. That's a totally right. legitimate need that every human being has. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how this, these two, these kind of dual practices of simplicity and generosity are kind of counterintuitively and perhaps counterculturally actually a greater path to peace.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, when you study marketing 101, uh, it's uh, really interesting because it contradicts everything that you just said. Yeah. Um, meaning that in marketing 101, they tell you, that we have to pick on some fundamental things that human beings, or try to deceive or trick or convince human beings that we need certain things in order for us to experience joy and happiness. We have to talk about power and fame and influence and wealth and all of these things. And so almost every marketing thing that I see talks about or kind of picks on some of those things. So some rules of life that I think are so integral for us as Christians in a culture that keeps saying more, 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 right? It's, that's the whole mantra is you need more in your life. And if you don't have more, then you're not going to ever be happy. And so a couple of mantras for me, there's a, a an author by the name of G.K. Chesterton, and a very powerful theologian. And so, this is one of his quotes from one of his books, and it goes like this there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more, the other is to desire less. Those are the two pathways. And so, that's really shaped kind of my role of life is what does it look like for me to have perspective and to have contentment in what I have? Now, I'm not trying to suggest that. We shouldn't, uh, and it's bad for us to attain more things. But if that's where we find our answer to more joy and happiness, it never, ever ends. It just never does, which is the reason why we really have to begin with a place of contentment. And so our perspective during this time, for example, of the health pandemic, everyone's being impacted in some way or the other. Uh, for myself, our family, we've been impacted in some significant ways. I don't have to go into the details, but I have to also realize I don't have to worry about my next meal, or the next week's meal, and to be frank, for the next month, I don't have to worry about my rent for the next couple months, at the at the least. And yet, I know that there are people within our midst, in our city, in our neighborhoods, maybe even in our churches, in our larger world that are going through some major devastation because their margins are so small. And yet, so much of my cultural conditions paint me in a situation where, gosh, unless I have more and more and more, I'll never be happy. So I think one is perspective. I just need more perspective. And the second one is just gratitude to always begin from a place of gratitude, that Jesus is our enough. One of the most provocative things that I've ever heard in my life was in a conversation some years ago when I was visiting some um, uh, local leaders, indigenous leaders in South Africa, working on some development organizations with one day's wages. And this person said something, and it's never escaped my mind. This person said, Eugene, sometimes I feel sorry for you and some of your American friends. I was a little offended because I wasn't quite sure what he meant by that. But he says, I feel sorry for you because sometimes it feels like all you have is only money. Because that's all that we count, perhaps, in our culture. So those things have given me you know, not just peace, but sometimes peace is a bit more attainable through disruption. And so we need to be disrupted and shaken a little bit. And so if I'm honest with you, these things don't necessarily give us instant peace, but they place us on a path of peace. Yeah,
0: yeah that's really good. I, I'm hesitant to say this, and I feel it pretty regularly during these last couple of weeks or months now, I guess, of this pandemic. But you know, in, it, it's it's a hard thing to say in light of the suffering that you just spoke of. That a lot of people are really suffering a great deal, and um, in any crisis there is opportunity because uh, it's it's almost uh, eschatological in a sense that it it reveals, it it draws out, it pulls the curtain back right in a revelatory way of yep. the things that that we've been kind of leaning on and clinging to. Uh, Without really thinking about it, you know, I mean, so much of our consumption is mindless is probably a fair word, you know, I feel hungry, I eat, I want a thing, I get it. And the vast majority of Americans are in a position where, you know, outside of extraordinary circumstances, we're not going hungry, and we're not going without the things we need and in large part desire. So moments like this are, are in, a, in a sense, even in the midst of their tragedy, also a real opportunity for God to kind of open our eyes and peel back the layers of, of blindness uh, for us to be able to see like, yeah, man, there, the, this kind of low level stress and anxiety in my life might just be because every time I feel this, this insecurity or this anxiety, I reach for something that's never gonna do it. Like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. never, it's never gonna satisfy. And so we reach and we reach and we convince ourselves, yeah, but this next one and this next thing, if I just had a little more. And so there's this moment where, I was telling somebody the other day, like, if nothing else, this pandemic has given us all space to think too much, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're all, you know, thinking about our lives and, and there's some real good and grace in that to go, yeah, mm-hmm man, my, my life is disrupted. My rhythms are disrupted. Uh, what is it that I'm doing? You know, what am I doing? Sure. What am I reaching for? And a lot of people are feeling fear right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the fear changes from person to person. But I think it's a really healthy question to ask ourselves, like, when we feel fear, what do we reach for? Sure. What, what's the thing that we think is going to solve that problem?
1: Right. No, I think I think you're pointing out some really important things. When we're talking about this current health pandemic, we're always talking about going back to normal. I think we're asking the wrong question if yeah. we're saying we want to go back to what was. I think this is an opportunity. Sometimes it's, these things happen because of vision, and sometimes it happens because of these unforeseen circumstances we have an opportunity to really examine and to think about what is a new imagination of what stewardship generosity simplicity look like and again i'm not suggesting that it always has to be these extreme answers where you have to embrace poverty or you have to become monastic and you know live under a bridge somewhere i'm not suggesting those things at all but i do think that we have to ask the question not how do i get back to normal or when do we go back to normal but what is the possibilities, the imagination of a new normal look like mm-hmm. that really does give us a deeper imagination of the kingdom of God of flourishing. And when we're talking about like um, stewardship, it's not just it's not just treasures. It's not just money, right? It's time. It's our talent. It's where we invest our our hearts and souls. And so I think this is, uh, you know. I don't want to say it's an opportunistic time because, as you noted, these are really hard, challenging times, and people of all different classes are experiencing this in different ways. But I think it would be such a tragedy for you, myself, anyone that's watching this, if our takeaway is man, we just had a a six month bump in the road, and I go back to normal and not be transformed again in some way, a life that more deeply honors and resembles the kingdom of God
0: so good. Um, One of the things we say here all the time is begin where you are and take the next step. And I stole that straight from C.S. Lewis, which I do most things. Uh, But um, that idea of beginning where you are, because there's no other place where you can begin, um, but not being content to stay there, just asking yourself, what's what's the next step? And so Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to first, maybe go back to that initial decision to go, okay, we're gonna we're gonna work towards giving up a, an entire year's worth of wages. Um, what were some of those initial uh, convictions, initial steps? How did you begin to prepare to to uh, kind of be that level of generous?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll say this: this is the blunt truth. If I knew what that journey looked like from the beginning, like as Christians, we all we're, we're kind of obsessed with clarity, and it's not a Christian thing; it's a human thing. To be human is we want to be in control. We want to know all the steps. And the reality is we're not going to know all the steps. And I'm probably butchering this quote, but Martin Luther King Jr. talks about that faith is not knowing the entire staircase. It's just taking the first step. And so we don't know the entire journey ahead. But when we take one step about generosity and simplicity, it's amazing how the second step, still arduous, becomes a little more easier. And when you take five or six steps, then something happens, there's a rhythm and we're developing a culture and it's the very ways that we breathe now. And so generosity then is not some kind of a tertiary issue but it's just a part of how we desire to live and how we actually do live. So I'm really grateful that when we began that journey, we didn't quite know what it would entail because had we known, I'm pretty sure I would have said no. that it just would not have been worth it because it it was challenging. And for us, um, when we were convicted to give up a year's wages, we didn't realize that it would take three years. I didn't realize that it would entail me selling off my midlife crisis card, my 1989 blue Mazda Miata that I call Blue Thunder. I still (laughs) miss it. Uh, I didn't know that it would entail our family moving out of our home for three months and kind of uh, surfing couches of our congregants. Now, let me pause and say, I'm not, again, suggesting that people need to mock or mimic what we did. That was just kind of what we were called to do. But what was really helpful, I think, was, A, making the decision and then making sure that it was a shared decision. So I, we talked about it as a family, that it wasn't just a Eugene thing or a Minhee thing, that as a whole family, uh, it wasn't just the what but the why, the why really matters. So that it's not, again, just a result of becoming trendy. Or so as a, as a family, I love talking about the why we were choosing to do that. And then it was just taking one small step at a time. We weren't going to be able to come up with $68,000 overnight. So it was making small decisions every single day. And the best part about this is that whenever we feel called to something, I genuinely felt like God was calling us to change the world as trite as that sounds. That was kind of my heart and motivation. And I'm not suggesting that that's not part of the story, but the bigger part of the story that I didn't know me began was realizing that God really wanted to change us as well. That was revelatory. It was something that I didn't quite understand until we entered into this. So when people are listening to this, And we're talking about simplicity and generosity. Yes, we want to bless other people. We want to encourage other people. We want to support other people. But the reason why I think we do these things is that when we live this, we embody these things. It's actually us that receive the greatest blessing. When we live and walk more in the likeness of who Jesus is, something beautiful happens in our life.
0: Yeah. That's, that's great. And that's, man, have we all not experienced that in one way or another uh, as we follow Jesus? Um, well, let's wrap up with just some maybe really practical stuff. We'd love to, you know, I love your organization with one day's wages and I know you're involved uh, with other things, uh, both here locally in Seattle and around the country. What are some practical ways that people can begin to take steps towards generosity?
1: So yeah, a couple of things that I would say. One, I think it's, it's just good to do a self-assessment. And I know that sounds really clinical, but I think it's just good to do a self-assessment and say, where am I right now? And that's not a place of like judgment or condemnation, but it's a good opportunity to look in the mirror, to take a look at our finances, to take a look at our time, to take a, a look at how I share the talents that I have and just do an assessment. Mm. I think that could be really encouraging. Sadly, sometimes in the church, it's seen as a scary thing, but I just think it's a beautiful thing to do an assessment and to do an assessment with other people. It might not be with the entire church, but with some trusted friends. Let's do a self-assessment where we are right now and where you might want to go to give us, again, feel for imagination. It's kind of like the person who is running for a marathon. Like You got to run a mile first to kind of get a sense of where you are in your health-wise. So if I'm running... 17-minute 17 mile, 17 miles, which isn't very good, but if that's where I'm at, and I want to get to a nine-minute mile, that gives me an idea what I need to be working on, if you will. A couple things beyond sharing your story with others is to partner with other people. We don't ever follow Jesus alone. And this isn't because I'm on a conversation with a local church pastor. I think it is absolutely vital to partner with your local church not in the totality of everything that you do, but as a significant part of our stewardship of time, talent, and treasure. So I would encourage people. And that's a great question because if you don't want to partner in your stewardship of generosity and simplicity with your local church, then you should find a different local church. Hmm. But we want to have everyone be a part of being a part of what God's doing through local churches. The other thing is find trusted partners individually, organizations, organizations, Obviously, I would love for people to partner with One Day's Wages. I'm also running an organization called Bread for the World that does advocacy. But it is so good to know that there are some things that you can do alone, but also such a beautiful thing to partner with your local church and to partner with organizations that you trust.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, man, thank you so much for your time. It has been a joy to have you here. I love uh, that our people get to hear your voice. And uh, thank you for your work here in Seattle and uh, the gospel impact you've made here. And you know what, man? You are changing the world. So, uh, you know, the Lord is working through you, and I'm encouraged by you. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Pastor. I really appreciate that. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching into a time of response to reflect on and respond to the work of the Spirit. While we recognize it's hard to capture that in a podcast, we'd still encourage you to take a moment. Consider what the Spirit might be saying to you in response to what you heard. For more resources and details about how to join us on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. As we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.